I'd just like to take this opportunity to ask permission from Jalkun Mahasamai and all of my, my fellow monks in the practice here to speak on the Dharma today. I give you all my blessing, all, all the people here that have come to listen to the, to the, that have come to listen to the Dharma, that have intent and, and willing to practice. Um, the topic that I am going to talk on today is, is about the path leading to happiness and the path leading to calm. This path, this path leading to happiness, even before the time of the Buddha, there were lots of people, lots of different spiritual seekers, lots of different teachers that claimed that they knew the path and they saw the path, this path to happiness. But when the Buddha, the, when the Buddha came along, he, he discovered the true path, this true path that led not just to a worldly happiness, but it, it led to the ultimate kind of peace. It led to Nibbana, the full eradication of all defilements in the mind. And Nibbana means full enlightenment. When he discovered this path, he 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 taught it in in all in all its different aspects and the many ways. But the main thing that he taught it was that he taught a suitable path for all different people, be they be they monastics or be they lay people. And he taught those people according to their different levels of the different levels of their minds. So for us in this present day and age, we, we have many jobs, we might have many responsibilities in our lives, and so the, the path we have to look at and the level that we have to look at in our daily life is, is for us to keep these five precepts that we've just uh, determined to keep a, a minute ago. What you have to do is, is look at these five precepts and look at what they actually mean, and you have to ask yourself constantly, is... What, what, are people actually, what are the people actually like that, have, that don't keep these five precepts? What is their life like? What is their, what is their mind state like? And then you have to reflect on the other side of it and what are the people's lives like who have these five precepts and who keep these five precepts? What kind of, what, what's their mental state like? What level of happiness do they have in their life? And you'll see that the, these people that keep these five precepts um, they they have a, a lot happier life, a lot calmer life, and so so these five precepts these these are the things that will at, at the very beginning of the practice develop a fa- strong foundation for us to for us to start walking on the path to greater happiness. To achieve this greater happiness, what we really need to do is start from this basis of morality, but then also to start meditating as well. Uh, especially meditations on what we call the Brahmaviharas or the four sublime abidings, and particularly, in particular, uh, Metta Pawana, which is uh, loving kindness meditation. Once, once we start to we start to develop these uh, different kinds of Brahmaviharas and particularly Metta, we'll find we'll find that these with these wholesome dharmas, these these acts of these thoughts of loving kindness, really start to look after the mind. And when we have developed these to a good level, because because our mind will be so feel so wholesome and um, and be in such a good state, this in turn will will go back and look after our morality. It actually the, the practice of uh, of meta meditation. This 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 helps all dif- all different aspects of the practice, and it helps all different aspects of our lives. You can you can just reflect and you can see one who practices loving kindness meditation. He that person has happiness for themselves, 
and they have, and all, all, all other people around them also have happiness being influenced by that person. Um, they don't, they don't do anything bad to other people. They don't, they don't hurt any other people. Um, so not only, not only that person, but everyone around them benefits from that. Just that one person practicing metta meditation. So, at the start of the practice, what what we need to what, the things that we need to really focus in on is developing dana, which is charitable giving, and also our morality. Um, but even even though one may be may be firmly may be firmly established in in charitable giving and and morality, one will actually notice that their mind still moves around a lot, and maybe they don't have much peace in the mind. They have happiness there, but they don't have true peace. So you have to note you have to notice even though you might want your mind to be still, but as soon as you sit down to meditate, it, it, it jumps off and it runs away. The reason it does this is because the defilements, what are called the chilesas, are in control of your mind at the moment. So you have to, you have to realize that the source of all happiness but is, is within your own mind and the source of own suffering is within your own mind. Um, when, when you know that the mind is the forerunner, that's, that's when you'll realize that you really have to practice and you really have to put effort into trying to control the mind. Um, if, if you don't practice, you'll, you'll, you'll always, feel suffer, you always feel suffering in the mind because your mind will be in, a, in an agitated or confused state all the time. It will never see clearly because it will never see that peace. So once, once, we, once we notice this, once we see that there's this suffering in the mind, We'll really, we'll really be intent, and we'll really try and find the time to, um, to, to, to try and make the mind calm. Most of us, most of us already probably know many different methods of meditation and what you should do to meditate. It's, it's obviously, obviously, we usually sit on the floor. We sit cross-legged, put one hand on top of the other, um, establish mindfulness in front of us, and to watch the watch the in and out breathing. If one keeps the mind uh, constantly focused on the breath, this, this, is what will gen- this is what will eventually lead the mind to calm. Even when you are sitting down and just watching the breath, the mind, the natural tendency of the mind is to jump off and to run away. But just, just gradually bring it back, just calmly bring it back. You don't have to worry too much if it, if it runs all over the place. The, the main thing one needs to develop when developing meditation is, is de- to develop a sense of patience and endurance. And once one does have that patience and endurance and, and can sit for periods of time, say from 10 minutes to 15 minutes, maybe a bit longer to half an hour to an hour, what will happen eventually after we've been practicing for a little while, the mind, the mind might gather together just for, just for a little instant and one will start to, start to see that this, this happiness and this uh, rapture in the mind. And you'll, you'll see that this is a new kind of happiness. This is a kind of happiness that that you've never experienced before. It's not a sort of happiness that you'll ever get from anywhere in the world. And this is the happiness of, this is the happiness of a mind that doesn't move around and a mind that is quiet. Um, in Buddhist terminology, we, we, have different, we have different factors to make that calm mind up. It's called, it's called witok, wijan, piti, suk, ekakata. These different factors combined together are what, are what bring the mind to peace and what and what make the mind become still and calm. 
So when one stays with the breath for a certain period of time, that's the first two aspects there is uh, vitok vijara, which is uh, applied thought and sustained thought. So we just apply our mind to the breath and sustain our mind on the breath. And once we do that for a while, pity and sukha will arise. Pity is rapturous, rapturous joy and sukha is, is inner happiness. So once we keep the mind on the breath for a period of time, we'll experience those things until it moves into what's called ekakata, which is one-pointedness of mind. Once you do start to experience once you do start to experience these, this rapture and happiness and this one-pointedness of mind, the body and mind will become light and tranquil and you can sit for longer and longer periods of time without even noticing how long you're sitting for. And once you've actually seen this calm in the mind, you'll realise that there's nothing else in the world that, that's visible and that, that is a higher happiness than having this calm mind. We meditate... The reason we meditate is to bring a sense of strength and a sense of power to the mind. Um, and the longer we practice, the, uh, and the more we do the practice, the more we'll see the results. Uh, you could be practicing for a long time, over many, over, you know, say many years or whatever, and maybe you haven't seen, like, spectacular results. But one day, after a, after a long period of time, the mind, the mind just might drop into a state of very, very deep calm. And so that's, that's, the, that's the result of all the good hard work that one has put in and one can finally see the, the, the benefits of practicing meditation. So doing meditation, especially practicing what we call samadhi or one point in us and calmness of mind, this is, something, this is something of the greatest importance because... Once we have developed this samadhi, this concentration, this will eventually give rise to wisdom, what we call panya. But what you have to notice is to actually develop samadhi, to develop the concentrated status of mind, this actually requires a lot of effort. So to, to actually put forth this effort, what we need to do is to do lots of, lots of meritorious things and do lots of, lots of good, wholesome things within our lives. We can do things like helping, helping the Buddhist sasana in, in, many different, in, in many different ways. All these different ways that we do, do sorts of acts of charity and acts of goodness. This, uh, sorry, all these sorts of acts of charity and we do is this is help us give up our sense of selfishness and our sense of, our sense of greed towards the things that we have because we're giving these things up. And what actually happens when you give Virus these things up on the outside, the mind will start to turn inwards and it, and it, it won't want for anything anymore. And this will, this, this will give rise to a sense of emptiness within the mind and a sense of pure happiness. Lumpur Cha, Ajahn Chah always taught that the, whenever we do any sorts of work and we do or any, any sorts of helping or any sorts of charity, either, whether it be something as small as pouring out some rubbish somewhere, if you do this with mindfulness, this, this, this will be a great benefit to you already. And if you also if you work with just with with letting go, this is this is the best kind of this is the best kind of merit that one can actually do. So we do all these diff these different things. We help society, all all these different kinds of things we do. This is this is accumulating merit. So we might do things like giving food to the monks, or telling people about the teachings, or helping people understand the teachings, trying to help people. Uh, start to practice meditation, all these different kinds of things we do, these, these are all meritorious. 
what we need to, but what we really need to do to develop real merit is we need to give up all all sorts of evil and all sorts of wrongdoing. This and this this is this is the this is the foundation that will that will bring happiness further on down the track, because the more we do these these sorts of things of giving up these acts of dana these acts of charity, this will get rid of our selfishness. And society as a whole, once once people in society aren't selfish anymore, society as a whole becomes a lot happier and it becomes a lot more calmer and more peaceful. The Buddha taught that even though one may seek these kinds of material material possessions, it, it sorry, if if we do, the Buddha taught that when we do seek these kinds of material possessions, it does bring one form of happiness. But what we have to realize is one day these material things we have to we have to be parted from them. We're not going to have, be able to have them forever. We might gain a small piece of happiness out of them for a, for an instant, but that will soon that will soon leave. He himself he himself realized this through his own experience. He when he was when he was un, when he when he was unordained he was a prince and he had so he had all the different luxuries of the world, all the all the kinds of riches. But he realized that one day that he would one day he would have to die and he he would have to part from these things. So that's when he decided to find a way out. And when he did find that way out, when he reached when he reached enlightenment, that's when he when he discovered the, the the truest and the highest happiness in life. So even though we might have a lot, we might have a lot of material possessions, a lot of things. This this is good. This is all. This is our past merit. But what we have to we have to go back and we have to look inside and we have to look right at this body, this body of ours, right at this point in time, and realize that as we sit here and as as the days and nights keep passing by, this body is just is slowly disintegrating. It's slowly getting older. It's it's getting it eventually get quite sick and one day it'll eventually die. And you can't do anything about this. This this is just a natural process that goes on. And you never actually know when when this time of death is going to happen. Maybe some people die very young. Maybe some people die older. Maybe some people die from a disease. Maybe some people die from an accident. You can't you can't tell what's which way it's it's going to happen. So even though we do have these material possessions, one day we are going to have to leave it behind. So instead of seeking too many material possessions, to seek the to seek the Dharma is a much is a much higher, much better way to live one's life, because the Dharma is something that one one can take with you at all times. Because life is very uncertain, and the only certain thing in life is is that will end one day. It will end in death. So we have to reflect on this very. Uh, we have to re- reflect on this constantly. And to really, to really push ourselves to do lots of acts of, of charitable giving and lots of acts of morality, and and to do meditation as much as we can, even though even though at a lot of times we might be practicing meditation and sometimes the mind's calm and sometimes it's not. Don't worry about this because eventually, if we just keep constantly practicing, we'll, we will eventually see some results. You can do different things in your practice. Maybe you can investigate. Um, some sort of Dharma theme, some sort of theme that you find sinks into your mind well. And once you do, once you do, cons- once you do investigate that Dharma theme a lot, this will give rise to wisdom. And then one one day, even though even though for now it might just seem like a 
superficial kind of wisdom. One day you might be sitting and you might have a real breakthrough in your practice. And this comes about from developing this wisdom and developing this samadhi over a long period of time. You might even, you might even make, a, make a, you could say, like a, an astonishing breakthrough, a really, really deep breakthrough. And you might see everything in the world, all the material things uh, within and without, as just as merely as conventions. That all, all the things that we experience in this world are uncertain and they're, that they're impermanent. This is just like me. Before, before I was ordained, I was, I was like you people are here now. I, would, I, was, I was interested in practicing. But like when I was maybe like a teenage, when I was a teenager, I would see I would see the monk like forest monks walk past my house um, on their morning arms round, and I wasn't I wasn't really interested in them. I didn't I didn't understand why they were doing what they were doing, because I basically I just wanted to go out and have fun like any any normal teenager wants to do. But in time, I saw I saw that even though I was out having fun, my my mind wasn't calm, and and this all this confusion and all this agitation in the mind it was causing me a lot of stress and suffering. So I thought back to a time when I was when I was quite when I was quite young, about about ten years old. I went to a monastery in in Bangkok, and they they taught meditation one day. And I sat meditation that day, and my mind and my mind became very very calm and very still, and I experienced I experienced great happiness. And so I reflect I reflected, and I realised that. You know the reason that I'm that I'm suffering at the moment is because I can't control my thinking, I can't control my thoughts or my emotions. So that's what made me start to become interested in the Dharma. When I when I started to get interested in the Dharma, I met I met quite a quite a great monk called Lumpabunna. He he was he was actually when before he was a monk, he was a, he was a millionaire. He built he built many famous monasteries in Thailand. He helped he helped build. Lumpokao's monastery. He did all sorts of different kinds of things. Did a lot of charitable giving to the Buddhasasana, and he ordained. He actually ordained when he was 55 years old. He he gave up. He gave up the home life. He he gave up his wife and his house and everything. He gave everything away, and he decided to take up the life of a forest monk. And he had on his ordination day. He had. Um, a few of the very, very prominent meditation masters of that time, as his, as his preceptors and as his, um, as his preceptors, and was called a Kamawajan or an Anusawajan, which are the monks that ask that ask permission for the rest of the sangha for you to come in, come in and be a monk. So he had a lot, he had lots of merit already, and so I I, I had a lot of faith in Lumpabunna, and I, I would follow him around, and I, he would teach me all aspects of Dharma. And one time he took me to grab, uh, he took me to pay respects to a monk called Lumpului, and at that point in time Lumpului gave a talk and explained the benefits of keeping the eight precepts. And after after he gave that talk, I decided to keep the eight precepts to develop my practice to the next level. And so, as you can see, I, I've been in the same boat as you, all of you sitting here. I, re- I realize that at this point in time where you're at, the path isn't easy. But you, but you have, but you have to have be patient, and you have to have endurance, and you have to keep trying to practice, and you have to stay interested in the Dhamma. So, to do, to keep this interest happening, and to keep this faith in your own mind, you have to constantly keep doing good things, and and constantly keep meditating, and trying to make the mind calm as much as you possibly can. 
And if you do this constantly, eventually, eventually you will see through all the, all the, eventually you will see through the conventional reality of the world, and see that everything in this world is simply anicca dukkha anatta, which is impermanent suffering and not self. You will see, you will see the Dharma that the Buddha has been teaching, and it, it will appear right in your own heart. So all of us here, what we what we really need to do is to is to make a firm determination that we're really going to practice the Dharma and we're going to put as much effort in as we possibly can. We do this by developing charitable giving, developing morality, and developing meditation. When we do these things, this is what builds a, builds uh, the wisdom within it. This is the thing that builds true wisdom within our minds. This true wisdom enables us to see the truth of all all conditioned things in the world, and this is what is going to give us really happy real happiness. This, all the happiness in the world that we experience is what's called Lokya happiness. It's, it's a happiness, but it's not permanent. There's, there's no, one day we're going to have to leave it all behind. But the happiness in the Dhamma is what's called Lokutara. And to get, this, to get this happiness in the Dhamma, what we have to do is we have to give up. We have to give up all the different things in, in the world. We have to give up, we have to give up uh, our attachment to worldly to worldly things, we have to give up our, our different kinds of bad speech and bad actions and all the different kinds of bad thoughts. We have to give these things up. So, what we have to do on a day-to-day on a day-to-day basis is, while we're working, we have to keep practicing, trying to keep our mindfulness at all times. We need to watch the mind and see if the mind's getting caught into any kinds of liking or disliking, and and then we have to try to keep our mind keep our mind in the middle and not, and not be caught in the, into liking or disliking. Because when we get caught into either one of these two things, the mind moves around and it suffers. So, just for example, if, you're an, if, if your character, your, your character is, is someone who's angry a lot, you might, um, what you need to do is to develop loving-kindness meditation. You, you need... You need to find out what kind of character you are and then find, you could say, like the antidote that, that fixes that character. So with an anger character, they need to be someone that develops loving-kindness meditation a lot. That kind of person needs to watch their own mind and, and to see when, when anger arises. And they need to keep their mindfulness sharp and to ask themselves quickly as, as soon as that anger arises. And it's like, well, you know, why, why are you angry? It's like, why are you angry at that person? Um, that person has suffering as well. That person has old age sickness and death as well. What, what's the use of me getting angry at them? Does it really actually accomplish anything? Um, you have to keep asking yourself these questions and finding skillful ways to deal with these unwholesome, with these unwholesome thoughts in your own mind. And the, the thing that will make, will make your mind better and the thing that will make your mindfulness better is, is just to keep practicing. So you can, every, every day when you wake up, you can make a determination. It's like, okay, today I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to get angry at anyone. I'm not going to, if I want to say something bad to someone, I'm not going to say it today. Because I, I realize that my life, and one day it's going to end. And, and even today might be the day that I end, that my life ends. So I don't, I don't want to go out in a bad way. And once we do this, we, we do this over a long period of time and we, we keep constantly doing this. Uh, all these negative emotions in the mind are gonna, are constant, will constantly fade away and happiness will, will start to increase in its place. 
um, and, and when the mind becomes happy, then our samadhi, our, our quiet, concentrated states of mind, it becomes a lot better. And when our mind becomes a lot calmer, uh, wisdom will arise a lot more and we'll be able to see the truth a lot more clearly. We'll be able to see that every, all these different things that we cling to outside in the world, all these different experiences, all these, all these different things that, that cause us suffering, they're just, they're just conditions arising according to nature. There's nothing special about them. They simply arise and pass away. And we realize that this clinging to these different things, this is what really gives us suffering and, this, and we'll deeply understand this. This, this was the foundation of what the Buddha was teaching of the Four Noble Truth, that, that there is suffering in this world and, and the cause of that suffering is, is, is clinging. In, before the time of the Buddha, no one actually knew this. They, they thought you know, suffering existed in their own mind and there was, there was, that's just the way it was. But when the Buddha found this path, when the Buddha found this path, he was able to teach everyone and to lead so many beings out of suffering. For him to actually find that and to find, to find out that a truth is so deep, like, so deep as the Four Noble Truth, he had to build a lot of what's called barami over many, many lifetimes and he had to work for a very, very long time. Barami is like your accumulated merit or your accumulated good karma. So he had to build that for a long time. So the Buddha's, the Buddha's pointed out the way for us. He's, he's worked really hard to get to, to break through to those truths and now the teachings are here for us. So what we have to do is we have to try these teachings out. We have to practice in line with the way that he taught. What we need to do is to do, you know, all the different kinds of good wholesome things like, you know, you can do chanting every night, you can meditation. Do these things and experience calm and, and, you'll, and you'll see the, the good results that Buddhist practice has to give. When, when, I, when I first ordained as a monk, I... I that was when I really started to see the benefits of having a calm, a calm mind, a calm, peaceful mind. There was one instance where I was, where I was walking on what we call Tudong, which is wandering around in the forest. I was wandering with another friend of mine, and I asked him, you know, what, what sort of meditation do, you, what are you doing now? And he just said, oh, I'm just, I'm simply every, every step I take, I'm just repeating Butto in my mind. So I take one step Butto, another step Butto, and. I, I sort of looked at his practice and I went, you, you're, not really, you're not really developing any wisdom, but me, I'm a lot smarter than you. I've, you know, I've, I'm developing wisdom. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to see the impermanence of life and everything around me. But a little bit later on in the practice, I, I started to, to develop more samadhi and I, I realized that, that this samadhi, these concentrated states of mind, they need, it, it, it needs wisdom there to to support it and also anyone that actually is going to develop wisdom they need they need calm concentrated states of samadhi to support that wisdom so both these aspects of the practice wisdom and concentration they support one another and they go back and forth like that all you people sitting here you you can actually see the dhamma it's it's not something that's especially for monks it's not something that's very far away you already have the you already have the foundation there of of generosity morality and meditation so just, if you do this, one day you will actually see the Dharma. When all these things gather together, when all, all the, good, the good results of your charitable giving, the meditation and, and, and morality, when they all gather together, this is when you'll see this real happiness that the Buddha was, was teaching. And this is, this is a real happiness. You'll notice that this happiness is something that doesn't, doesn't fade. 
and you'll see that you've gained this happiness by giving things up, by giving up all these unwholesome things in your mind. So if, once again, if you're angry, just, you know, you have to ask yourself, you know, who's angry? Who's the one that's angry? Why is he angry? If, if you see someone else and that makes you angry, it's like, well, why does that person make me angry? You have to constantly keep poking at your mind and seeing what, what are the causes of the suffering in, in your mind. And once you, you have to keep looking at it and say, well, is that, you know, who, who, who is the one that's angry? Who am I angry at? And once you really see through that and you see that there's no self there, and there's no, one, no other self to be angry at, you'll, you'll eventually let go of, of all your clinging and your attachment to those anger, angry states of mind. So practice throughout the day. Do it constantly. You know, never let up. Just try and keep your mindfulness um, with you at every point during the day. And this is, this is what will make your meditation steadily become better and better. We have, to, we have to keep teaching ourselves and reminding ourselves to let go of all these unwholesome states in the mind. You know, you don't have to ordain to do this. It's something you can do every day. You know, just throughout your normal day, you just keep investigating all the different things that you experience during the day. Especially for 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 lay people like you, it's you can do a lot. You really can do a lot of benefit without ordaining. It's like you help. You can help the sasana, the 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 Buddhist religion in many ways. You can help spread the teachings. You can help volunteer for different things. You can help. Uh, teach people that, that don't know anything about it, you can really get out there and spread it as well. Just like Bodhikasuma here, it, it helps a lot. It, help, it tries to get the Dharma out to as many people as it possibly can, especially, especially uh, Buddhism in the Theravada tradition. So, so there's all sorts of different ways that one can help and one can develop goodness and wholesomeness in their mind. Even if we only have a little time and we don't have much time to to practice any of those sort of we don't have much time to help out in those in those bigger ways what you can the, the best help that you can probably that you can possibly do for yourself is by practicing the dharma and with this i wish you all happiness and i wish you i wish you see this happiness one day in the future okay for anyone that didn't hear that the question was that that this man has been practicing meditation for a long time um, he's been doing over a, a long course of time and maybe hasn't sort of experienced the results that he wanted, that he expected to get, and he's been doing it for a long time and maybe, maybe feeling a little bit discouraged. Um, does the agent have any sort of tips for him on, on what he should do? So the agent says, what you, what you have to realize in the practice, the practice is, it's the same for everyone. Sometimes the mind's calm, sometimes it's not. This is just, this is just the normal, this is the normal way that the practice goes. But so if you go through periods of where, where the mind isn't calm for a, for a, for a long period of time, this is this is this can this is where boredom can set in in the practice. You don't want to do it. It, it seems like a big chore, um, and you seem to be overrun with the mind just proliferating and running out of control. Um, the only, the only remedy for that is to is to really have patience in, in in your own practice. You have to keep at it. You just have to keep going. Because the practice will go up and down at times, and that's that's just the normal way it goes. What what this actually shows, if if you're not getting if you're not getting spectacular results in your practice, that's that's um, this just goes to show that the sort of how do you say the um, the the power of your practice and and the strength of your own practice, it still it still isn't full. It still isn't quite enough. You, um, maybe you have to put a little bit more effort into the practice. Um, to get it get to get it up to that strength where it won't fall back.
Um, so, for example, may, maybe, maybe, but also on the other hand, maybe your character is just not the character where it, the mind will drop into very, very calm, deep, concentrated states of mind. It's, it's, it's normal for some people. So what you have to do is throughout the days just, is just try and develop as much mindfulness as you possibly can. And everything that you do, just try to have mindfulness there. Keep, keep looking at the mind and keep investigating and seeing, and seeing you know, when the mind moves in a liking or when it moves in a disliking. And just, just try to catch it when it does that and try to, try to let those, those negative emotions go. When, when you do see the mind moving in the liking and disliking, what you need to do is investigate those things, investigate both those states as, as something that's impermanent. Both those states aren't a sure thing, they're just movements of the mind. Or if, if you get to the point where your mind's thinking a lot and it seems to be out of control, that's where you can try to use like a meditation word, maybe like butto or something to, to, to rein the mind back in. But just, you know, the main thing is to have is to have patience and to keep doing it constantly. And one day, you, the the more you the more you how do you say the more you let go and the more you you throw away all the, all the garbage in your mind and all the bad things in your mind, the more you do that, you know, your practice will just steadily keep keep progressing along. Okay. The the que- the, the question was is the lady she 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 finds that when she meditates. Where, where was the sensation? Sorry? Where was the sensation? Where did you feel the sensation? Okay, okay. Okay, she, she, when, whenever she sits meditation, she feels like she has this uh, sensation in the top of her head. Um, she doesn't actually know what it is, so she'd like to ask the Ajahn, what, what would that be and what is that arising from? <clears throat> so the answer, the answer that Ajahn Anand gave was that... When, when we're developing meditation, and especially when we're developing one-pointedness of the mind, um, we can have all, all different kinds of experiences can come about uh, when, when the mind starts to get calm and the mind starts to get concentrated. So one can have a feeling in many different places, just say if one's watching the breath, they might get a feeling of, of, you could say, like tightness or whatever around their nose area or around their, their mouth area or somewhere in their head or in their brain, yeah, anywhere, or in, or in their chest or anything. These, these, sort of different, these sort of different experiences can come up, come about. Maybe, and then maybe when you're like investigating a different Dharma theme, it, like your whole body can, can sort of feel you know, tight and sort of full and like solid. He even says it, you, can, you, can, you can even compare it to like your, your whole body feels solid like a rock. And this, this is just one of the characteristics of samadhi. There's, there's, many, there's many different kinds of characteristics that, will, that can arise when the mind becomes calm. Sometimes, some other people might have the feeling that, they might, that their body becomes very, very light and feel like they're floating. There's all, there's all these different kinds of things. It just it depends on our own individual characters, what's, what's actually going to arise in our own meditation. But what you will what you will notice when you start to get these uh, good experiences from your meditation is if if anything comes in through if you get any sense impressions through the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, or body or mind, anything that comes in and um, inter, you know interferes, you you notice the mind is very very calm and it's very very stable, and it won't be able to those different impressions that come in it won't move the mind around as much and you won't be as bothered by these different these different things that come in. So the the reason maybe at the moment you feel that it's that this this thing that's happening to you it's annoying is is because it's in reality you just don't know what it is. 
So now that you know what it is, you know that it's like a good thing, so keep practicing with it. Just for anybody that didn't hear that. Um, she said she said she had uh, an experience once where she, she, were you sitting meditation? Yeah, she was sitting meditation and she experienced great happiness, but she didn't actually know what it came from. And it sort of, it seemed like the mind sort of pulled inside her and, but after that happened, the happiness, the happiness was gone and, and she couldn't pull the happiness back and, and she just wants to ask the agent, it's like, um, how do we get that happiness again and, and how do we keep it? We keep it when we actually do get it. So th- this experience that you have, this is this is normal. This is a normal thing that happens. Is is the, these kinds of things that are, are dependent on what's called our barami or our accumulated merit. Um, this this sort of shows that maybe that you've practiced meditation before, and maybe it was another life or something, and you've practiced uh, uh, concentration before. And so so when you come back now to do it, it's it's just something that sometimes it'll it'll just arise by itself out of nowhere, and you don't know. You don't know its causes, but it, its causes are that you've practiced it some time before. Um, but what you have to realize is with all these kinds of experiences, even with these, all these kinds of experiences, even if they are great and wonderful and they make you happy and everything, they are what's called sankara, which is, a, which is conditioned phenomena. And anything that's sankara or a conditioned phenomena, it has to, it's subject to the laws of impermanent suffering and not self. You, do, you have to accept that it's, they, it arises and it passes away. This is just the normal, the normal way of things. So to get to get back there is what you have to do is develop a lot of mindfulness. Try and develop it as much as you possibly can, but and to develop it, you practice as much as you can. But what you what you need to realize is you when you develop your practice, you don't do it with a way with a with a sense of wanting, sense of wanting that experience again and wanting it to be calm. Or trying to remember it. Oh, I was like that before. I want that again. This is this is if you if you think like this, this is actually an obstacle to getting it again. The way you have to practice is is by letting go. You just you practice and you keep letting go all these all the all, the, all these obstacles within your own mind. Um, and so when you do practice like that, by practicing just simply by letting go, you know. Maybe this happiness will come back. This 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 same feeling will come back to you, and it might even come back even more than it was before. Um, so what what we have to do is trying to try to develop as much calm as we possibly can in our mind. And then what you'll notice what happens when the mind experiences a little bit of, a little bit of calm, when it starts to move again, that's when we have to get in and we have to investigate the physical body, our own body. That is that. Our own body is simply it's something that's impermanent suffering and not self. And so we do that and we use, we use our wisdom faculty a little bit more because to actually develop very, very deep samadhi, it's something you have to work at for a very long time and you have to have you know, the, really the right causes and conditions for that. Um, just in general, most people, that, uh, most people in the world um, and in the, that are in... <coughs> Sort of like a normal situation, they have to work and they have to use them. You know, use their thinking mind a lot. Have to think about different things. Have to make lots of different decisions during the day. Have to think quite quick. So what you should do is, is because your mind is like that, you have to use that mind skillfully. You have to use that mind to develop wisdom. So you can use it to think of skillful things and think of think like different kinds of dharma themes. And you'll notice what happens is the more you do that, even though you are using your thinking mind, your, 
your mind will start to become calm. It will start to calm down because it's thinking of something along the lines of Dhamma. Um, and it'll go back and forth like this. Your mind will get calm and then you investigate, use it, use the calm mind to investigate and go back and forth like that until eventually it becomes calm and stable again. And so when you do experience this calm, this calmness, you'll experience that, you know, this is a happiness that is beyond anything else. Um, and, and you'll know it, you'll know it for yourself. And you, now that you've experienced it, you'll, you'll want to keep looking for it more and more and that'll give you the drive to keep practicing. So the question was, um, the lady notices that that a lot of times she, she notices her mind it can get into quite of an quite an angry state and quite of an agitated state. Um, and it seems like sometimes she can't control it. it. It's very, very hard to control and she just asks the Ajahn what what should you do in that sort of situation? And the agent said, what, what, what the problem is, what, the, what the, the deeper problem is with that is the mind actually attaches to all these different emotions we have with a sense of self. Um, we, we, we become angry and then we start to think, you know, I'm the one that's angry, I'm angry at this and I'm angry at that person. So all of this, is, it comes from a sense of self. What you need to do is you really have to have your own mind. You need, to, you need to develop as mindfulness as much as you possibly can and keep, and keep looking at the mind and seeing the impermanence of it and seeing the changing nature of the mind. You know, you can, when, when you start to notice that anger arises, just, just watch it and, and see it see it arising and keep watching it. Even, even though it might build up to, to boiling point, just keep watching it. And what you, can, what you need to do at that point in time is, is not act on the anger. Don't, don't act on the anger. Don't, don't say anything. Don't do anything. Don't throw things around like that. Just don't act on these things. And what you have to really do is to, is to try and pull your mind back and start to ask yourself questions of like, well, okay, now that I'm boiling with anger, you know, 10 minutes ago I wasn't angry, so why am I angry now? And, and you have to keep asking yourself, and, and maybe like in an hour I'm not going to be angry anymore. So if if you do that and you do this and you use the wisdom, you use your wisdom like this, you you really start to notice and you'll start to see and you'll start to understand that anger it, it's not it isn't it isn't a self it has, hasn't got any sort of sense of self being within it. So just keep watching your mind, just um, because when you when you are angry, the mind is very it becomes very unsettled and it is it is quite hard to control it. So just keep mindfulness there and don't when it is angry like that, just don't react, don't. Don't speak, don't say things, because that'll that'll just make it worse. Um, so what you have to do at that point in time, even if it's spinning out of control, what you have to do is is to really try and bring it back and and just try and you know just try and think of good things, like the good things you've done in your life, things that make your mind happy, like you know some of the good things that you've done in your life, um, the things that make you happy. Maybe you think of your family or whatever. Anything that will bring your mind to us back to a, a sense of balance and a sense of happiness. Uh, um, just want to ask, if I'm meditating, I find it easier like to um, have a peace, uh, calm and peaceful mind when I do the meta meditation, but not if I'm doing the breathing meditation. So when I'm doing the breathing meditation, um, it's just harder for me to focus on my breath. So what um, on the CD from Ajahn Monastery, I uh, have to do the counting, um, one, two, three. So I did that, um, but I found it like I just focus on the counting, not on the breathing sensation in and out. So is it correct? So 
He said, this is okay if you're just doing the, the counting and you're not quite watching the breath at that point in time. It's fine. Don't worry about it. The main, the main, the main point in meditation, the main thing you have to do is to establish mindfulness. That's, that's the most important thing. It doesn't matter what different technique you're doing. So what you'll, what you'll notice if you do something and you do it with continuous mindfulness, be it, for example, like the counting or whatever, eventually what will happen, the mind will start to come down and it'll just, it'll eventually let go of the counting all by itself. Um, so that's, that's whatever leads the mind to calm, that's the correct way you should be practicing. And, and what you have to do is to use that calm and when the mind does become calm and when after it's been in a period of calm for a little while, when it comes out of that, use that to invest, investigate all, all condition phenomena as, as, as impermanent suffering in itself. And so the most important thing is to have mindfulness. So the, the question was, um, the man when he, when he, when he, when he meditates, he, he, he gets a sort of a similar, I wouldn't say a similar, but like a, a, an experience that arises in his meditation where he hears a noise. I'm not quite sure what the noise is. Um, um, and he wants to just ask Ajahnan, is it, is it normal? Is it something that was like uh, um, some sort of condition of samadhi that the other lady had, or what should he do with it? Should he worry about it, or, or should he investigate it, or what should he actually do with it? Is, is it, is it, is it, does it sound like that? The wee wee? Like, is it, what's it sort of sound like? Is it just annoying? Well, you, you, you might have the divine ear, you never know. Yeah, it's not, it's not something you should be worried about. If it's not annoying you and it's not, it's not taking you away from calm, just don't worry about it. It's fine. But he said what you need to be worried about if you're just sitting there and you start to hear it, in, like in a normal state, like you're sitting hearing it now, that's when you probably should be worried. <laughs> Sometimes you might even, like, you have to sort of be worried about it. Just if you're sitting in like a quiet place, you have to give an example of like if you have a cave or something and, and you hear you hear this like this sort of like sound of silence and it's quite a, like a high pitched noise or something. It's, that's something that's that's not coming from the calm mind, that's like that's sort of a problem with your ear. Sort of thing, but <laughs> yeah, that's what you have to be worried about. <laughs> one, one more question. Okay, you're the lucky last. Yeah. Was it was there two lucky lasts? Okay, so the, the lady asked a question. You know, usually all, all she uses as a regular thing. She she will chant and she'll meditate like every night. But over the last few weeks, she hasn't she hasn't been doing it. And so, but she noticed when she stopped doing it, she she smelt something really really bad. Like there was some sort of really bad smell that she thought like a mouse had died under her bed or something. So the next morning she got up and she ripped the covers off and she ripped the bed off and everything, but she couldn't find a dead mouse or anything. And she noticed like the next day the, the smell was still sort of there. It was, she said it sort of smelled like, like a, it could have been like a dead, something dead, like a dead animal or something. So that next night she started to, like she started to chant and she started to meditate again and, and, and the smell, the smell actually went away. And, and so the edging, Yetan gave the answer. It was like, well, maybe that's someone like coming to give you a warning. It's like you you should be meditating. You know, it's like maybe you know, like somebody sort of giving you a poke and saying, you know, you should be you should be chanting. You should be meditating. Is is like, and this actually is, you might laugh, but this actually could be true. This could be like some sort of uh, spirit or something, like some sort of 
person that you knew in the past? There's someone who has um, some sort of spiritual connection with you or something, and they and when they see you when they see you practicing meditating and chanting and stuff, and they they actually share in the merits that you do that you're actually doing at that point in time. So if you've stopped doing that, it's like you've stopped helping them. So they they might come along and say, hey. You, I, I, I need I need some help as so I keep doing it. So they might they might sort of you know give you a bad smell of like a corpse or something. And so so the thing is is like if something like that happens, you know, just keep practicing, keep meditating, keep chanting, and and also um, when you do that is to to develop metta in yourself and spread metta to those beings and to any beings that you might have some sort of spiritual affinity with, and to share the merit that you, of your practice with those beings.